0: welcome to SCN Afterlife. I am your host, Kaylin, and don't worry, Jay way will be back with us later. Um, For now, joining me for the first half of today's show is Sean over from the Collider Afterlife show. Sean, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. I don't think you and I have ever done something together, just you and I.
0: I don't think so either. I think this is our first time, and uh, for our inaugural show, uh, hosting just the two of us, we actually have a couple of Wonderful guests! Um, they have been writers on many animated shows, but are probably best known as the creators of X Men: The Animated Series. We have Eric and Julia Leewald. How are y'all doing? That's fine. So glad to have you to be here with you. Thank you so much. Yeah,
2: thanks, Kayla. We're 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 doing great.
0: Awesome. So I am going to let Sean get us started here because he has some great questions he wants to ask y'all. <laughs>
1: All right. I'm going to, I'm going to start us off with an easy question. Uh, this show is considered by many people to be the definitive X-Men adaptation. Uh, to the point where when Disney bought Fox, I saw people saying that if the theme for this show was not included in some way in whatever X-Men movie that Disney makes, uh, they're not, they don't want to see the movie. (laughs) It has to have this theme somewhere. Uh, so when, when did you guys notice this massive passion for the show in the fan base?
3: And if I can just back us up here a minute, Sean, just yeah. and, and, and Caitlin, just to clarify who, who we are and, and what our roles were. Um, I'm going to give er- Eric gets to get all the credit. Uh, he, along with Will Minio, uh, producers Will Minio and Larry Houston uh, were, and Mar- and writer Mark Edens were the ones who got the call and sat down and said, crud, now we've got to create a show based on. 30 years of comic books (laughs) and and I was uh, lucky enough to be along for that ride, but I also got to write several episodes and, and, you know, for the five year run, got to make my voice heard. So.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And and, and as, as far as the the fan reaction, there've been kind of two stages for us on that. One of them was when we got the job in February, 1992, which is who knows maybe before y'all were born. Yeah. Uh, Uh, and it's, it's hard to remember back then that was basically pre-internet. They mm-hmm. just, they, they had some wires up, but you really couldn't send much of anything at the time. Um, very much more primitive time technically, but in, in any case, uh, when we got the, the job, we worked for, it works this way in animation. We worked for seven, eight, nine months before there was a, fin- a finished episode just for anybody to see. And so it was just kind of on faith that whole time that we were doing it right and we'd taken the right uh, approach to the X-Men because a lot of people – people had tried Marvel stuff before and it hadn't been very successful. It hadn't been any movies and the TV shows had been kind of hit or miss. Um, so it was a long time. But when, when, we, when there was a sneak preview on Halloween – and then the second one in Thanksgiving before the January premiere. On Fox Kids. On Fox Kids. Mm-hmm. They got good reactions. But then January when it premiered, it was just this huge. The you know, Fox was a tiny, like just beginning as a half of a network. And they were used to getting 5 to, to 10% of the audience. And by halfway or most of the way through the season with Men, they were getting 50% of the audience. There's this huge, there's this just spontaneous uh, reaction to it from the fans. So we got a sense of it then, but but that was was kind of at a distance. We were still we're sitting down trying to think about maybe working on a second uh, season if they actually picked it up because they hadn't promised us more than one season. Correct. And so we got a sense. Oh, it's popular. It's a hit. Good. You know, people are enjoying it. But we really didn't get a sense of like the the fact that like the whole world enjoyed this show that you know hundreds of millions of people saw it until the last three or four years when we started going around to comic cons and we'd meet people from every mm-hmm. and they say oh you don't understand i grew up on it or i learned english on it or it was my childhood and so so those are the two stages one was when we we're working on it we we realized that it was successful but that's kind of that's but then you, you meet people later and find out what it meant to them. And that's when we really understood that it was successful.
3: And I'm going to jump in here. And again, going in the way back machine, but um, 1992, 1993, 1994, the first time, first part of the show. uh, If you liked something, you had to pick up a pen and a piece of paper and write a letter. And if you hated something, you had to do the same thing, find an address, find an envelope, find a stamp. It was a process. So mm-hmm. I was at Fox Network, Fox Kids Network one day, um, and just asked, are you guys getting any kind of feedback about how X-Men's being received out there beyond like the ratings? And Charlotte Fullerton, who was working there at that time, so will come here and take a look. And she walked me out into the hallway. If you can picture those kind of opaque white bins that yeah. uh you you yeah. Full so, of
2: mail. From, picture from, from one the post office wow.
3: full of mail. Now picture them stacked wow. to the ceiling. Now picture them stacked all the way down one outside of the hall, all the way back up. And she said, That's all X-Men stuff. And it's like, oh, oh my goodness. gosh, these are kids who went out and found an address and a piece of paper. That that's when I got a sense that there was some serious um, some serious interest in the show. But as Eric's saying, it's not until the last few years that that, you, that he and I have had a chance to go out and kind of meet with people, because as writers. You know, we tend to be kind of off in the corner, home office. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a lot of you know, mingling with people and with animation. Like Eric said, it's such a lead time that we're usually on to the next thing before there's any kind of uh, reaction. Yeah. Reaction. So, anyway, there you go. That's the long answer to your question. There.
1: No, I love it, uh, and I just wanted to touch on. We t- you talked about uh, the um, the length of the show. I did just want to tell the listeners. For some numbers, it did run for five seasons, 76 episodes. You, you touched on the fact that there had not been a bunch of success in the past with, uh, with the Marvel characters in animation. there been no type, like no real success in the movies or anything. So I did want to ask you, because this was Fox's, uh, fuck, Fox, this was Marvel Comics' second attempt at an animated X Men TV show. Uh, first there was X Men. Pride of the X-Men, which was Uh, mm -hmm. in 1989 and was not picked up. Uh, I guess, Eric, when you guys were getting started on the animated series, was there anything they said about Pride of the X-Men where they were like, stay away from this because it didn't work there? Yeah, funny funny you should mention that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: and that's that's a pretty big chapter in the book because uh, just just to give you all all sense, and again, thinking of the fact that there had been no Marvel movies before then, and as I say, we were all only hired on for that first season. And as soon as we were done writing and the artists were done drawing, all of us were let go because they mm-hmm. there really wasn't a whole lot of faith that this was going to be successful. But in reference to Pride of the X-Men, the one person on the planet that is responsible for getting the X-Men on television, mm-hmm. her name's Margaret Lesh. And she was an executive, uh, animation executive in the 70s, 80s, and
4: at Marvel, uh, at Marvel uh, at, itself, and, and,
2: uh-huh. and at Marvel Productions, she was there when Stan Lee was there, and they spent five or six years trying to get show shows on the air, and they just as you, as Margaret said, they just couldn't they couldn't get a uh, a Marvel show on the air, and and they they had real successes like is and what well, producing yeah they exactly. produced other shows that weren't marvel shows like muppet babies, muppet babies. Mm-hmm. i mean they had some really excellent hit shows but nobody was buying marvel stuff and but she but margaret believed that x-men would be the best marvel of all the marvel shows possible and so she pushed it and pushed it And for about 10 years she, no one was buying it and then she got hired in 1990 as as the head of the new fox kids division had to put a. She was in the buying position, mm-hmm. and so she let it be known right away that, like her first three things she wanted to get on the air were X Men, Batman, and Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And it took a took a little while um, because it just these things take a little while to get going. But mm-hmm. it was all it was all her doing. That now, now, in reference to Pride of the X Men, that was all her doing as well. <laughs> she was working on a, a show at Marvel, a RoboCop show. And mm-hmm. she had produced 12 of the 13 episodes she was contracted to do. And she in effect stole the last budget. <laughs> so
3: borrowed, she borrowed she, the money, she
2: <laughs> borrowed $300,000 <laughs> b- <borrowed> $300, <laughs> from, Mar- from Marvel, from, from, from that production and made pride of the X-Men as a sales, uh, hoping to say, look, look how good this can be. You've uh-huh. got to make a series out of it. So it was, it was her showpiece.
3: Now, let, pro- okay, let me jump in here and ask: have, have, Has anyone here seen *Pride of the X-Men*? I, I have not it's, seen *Pride of the okay. X-Men*. Okay, because just for well, example, no. Wolverine. Wolverine has an Australian accent. Wolverine's
2: Australian.
3: I'm going to point that out now. <laughs> Eric, you take it away.
2: Yeah. So that just that gets you started. The problem was not that they didn't have really good artists and and solid writers at Marvel. They did because they had these these other shows that they they made the, the beautiful work with. But the problem with Pride of the X-Men was, uh, and again, yes, a lot of the same people worked on it as worked on our show. Mm-hmm. Will Minio mm-hmm. and Larry Houston and Rick Hoberg are three just to, to start with. Three of our, three of like, the five may worked on it. It looked beautiful. The animation was slightly better than our show. Mm-hmm. So it looked good. It was well-produced. But what the problem was, Marvel mm-hmm. and Productions, which is New World by then, they and, and their merchandising people, Everybody is like all the cooks. Everybody had, an idea. oh, no, you need to put all these characters in. No, you have to put all these characters in. And so it just overwhelmed the story.
3: And you had executives who said, you know what? Crocodile Dundee is a really popular movie this year. Let's make Wolverine <laughs> Australian. Australian. Oh, and, and,
2: and things like that just just ran the decisions that any fan will know is terrible. And the crew, the, the artists, you know, maybe resisted a little bit, but mm-hmm. didn't feel like they could, you know, they could, Across these folks that were putting the money up so in effect the the bosses turned it into this like 22 minute commercial jammed with like 40 characters none of whom mm. you got to know very well and that was and it just overwhelmed the story and you could look at it and see well, of course they didn't pick this up because it's just not very effective so that was mm. and that was an unfortunate misfire and the group but the great thing was they'd all been through that all margaret And then Will Minio and Larry Houston, Rick, all these people had suffered through that and watched it fail. And so when we got a lot of pressure to do stuff like that, when, when we did our show, we got pressure from Marvel to change the villains or we got pressure to make it, to make it younger or sillier or, you know, just all sorts of things to change the show from what we all agreed the show should be. And they'd been through watching Pride get ruined. And so they were all ready to stand up and say, no, no, we've got a, we've got a vision for the show. You know, Eric and Will and Larry and Markings, we've, we know what the show needs to be. We know what the season needs to be. And if you don't like it, fire us, but we're not going to, we're not going to put the Happy Meal toys in. We almost lost the show over Australian Happy Meal toys. At the very beginning. Because Marvel had gotten a check from From McDonald's, Australia, for, uh, Ed, because that said, okay, we have, to, we have to put these toys in. Like, I think Storm had a three wheel like tricycle.
3: Hey, listen, I got nothing against Happy Meal toys, I got but, nothing yeah. against them. But this order was you have to use these figures in the show. Yeah. You have to ride these vehicles. Well, Magneto mm-hmm. can levitate and Storm can yeah. fly. So, so we got yeah. a problem with the sure. tricycle.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so there there were half a dozen crises like that that came up. And every sh- every show gets challenges and that you never hear about you just, when you're just a fan of the show. And a lot of shows just go down in flames because mm-hmm. the person with the leverage, you know, can say no, Australia he be uh, Australian and we're going to have this villain and we the, the seven villains even though there's not room for them and all this stuff can, can dictate that, and then the poor people writing and drawing it just are stuck doing the wrong thing. As I say, luckily, we pretty much fought against that for the six or seven months until it came out. And once it came out and was successful, everybody shut up. You know, it was just like, okay, uh, it, what you all did worked, so we won't give you any trouble for the next four years. But for that first year, there's a lot of money at stake everybody's second guessing everybody
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh we had to do a lot of a lot of defensive a lot of defensive work there to keep the show the way we wanted it
1: and it apparently worked because you know the it's such a massive uh, hit now and it got to the point where in 2015 uh, when they did the Secret Wars crossover event uh, in the Marvel Comics again, there was a limited series X-Men comic that was pretty much based off of your guys' show, which is <laughs> just, you guys make this show that is a like a love letter to these 30 years of X-Men comics. And then years later, the comics make like a love letter to your show. What is that like? Can I, can I blow your mind here with a, yes. uh, a little
3: known factoid? Okay. please. Um, I, I, you, you may ask at some point favorite episodes and, and, and Eric and I have those, mm-hmm. but I'll, not, not to give anything away here, but, but Eric came up with what became the two part story, One Man's Worth. Bishop okay. comes back in time and it's, it, what if Xavier had not lived long enough to create the X-Men? And you've got this fantastic dystopian world where everything's fallen apart because he wasn't alive and Storm and Wolverine are married, and it just is heartbreaking. Okay, well, it turns out Bob Harris at Marvel really was fond of that story uh, as it came out in the series. And from that, that became Age of Apocalypse in the comic books. Now, a lot of folks assume One Man's Worth came after Age of Apocalypse because of the way it timed out. But I'm telling you now, Age of Apocalypse came out because of the episodes One Man's Worth.
2: Yeah, it was about 15. Wow. We, 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 this, we submitted the story to Marvel about 15 months before they before they came in. And it's it's just it, – that that felt very cool because it was something that they did so well. I mean, oh we, we did that. We, we, we felt uh, indebted to them for things oh, like, yeah. Come on. like uh, <laughs> the Phoenix Saga and uh, Days
1: of Future Past. Days of
2: Future Past. Mm-hmm. So when they – did something special with one of our original stories. It just it made us feel like we were uh, giving back.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: That's a really fascinating direction to go from, um, from, you know, the show back to the comic books. I know it's happened, you know, a few times. I know that um, I believe Harley Quinn is one of those where it, it fed back into the comic books. I just always find that really fascinating because we think of comic books as the source material, but sometimes it creatively feeds off of other things. And I just find that really cool. Um, I agree.
1: I agree. <laughs> so I, I do want to talk, a, actually get a little more into the show. Now, uh, the show gets a whole lot of praise for being very serialized and having these long story arcs. Uh, was that something that you guys were really pushing for? Was that always the plan? Was anybody saying, no, no, we want more independent episodes. So, you know, you don't, you can kind of just pick up anyone and, and get going. Just a reminder, uh, everyone involved with the, with the show who was brought in for the first season,
3: everyone was told you got 13 episodes. Yeah. That's it. Tell your stories and be done. Cause there's yeah. no guarantee. Yeah.
2: So we pushed, we pushed for a connection on the first 13 to serialize them. and, you know, to Margaret Lesh's credit, it's, it's, it's a risk for them because it takes so long to animate a show, at least it, it, it used to. It's all those months overseas. It would be like five months of painting, hand-drawing every cell overseas. Mm-hmm. And it, if it comes back and, you know, you've got about a week and a half till it's supposed to play, if it comes back and it's terrible, well, if episode four is terrible, you can't show episode five because mm-hmm. it's a connected story. So mm-hmm. if it takes a month to fix episode four, you have to go back and read. It's a it's it it, it can, it's a real challenge for them for for uh, for animation or for animators. At least it used to be because it took so long to produce these things to allow us to do that. But they allowed us to do it. The first season there were production problems. The second season they said, uh, "Well, no, you can't do them all connected anymore. So can we do multi-parters?" And then we thought, oh. Well, Mark Eden's eye thought we could do that little story in the background, the Savage Land story. So mm-hmm. we do like yeah. a minute to a minute and a half of that. And so we have a two-parter to start the, the season. We have nine episodes where there's about a minute of that in the background, mm-hmm. and then and then have a two-parter in the Savage Land finishing up. And they were able to animate those the background stuff first. We wrote that first. Mm-hmm. And that way, if if any of the nine episodes in between there the, the main stories didn't work out or there was a production problem. Those could be interchanged so we could move those around a little bit. They didn't connect as much as you kind of thought they did. What connected was that thing in the background. So we did that mm-hmm. as a, as kind of a, a way to keep our hand in that way. And then after that doing four and five parters, like the Phoenix and the dark mm-hmm. Phoenix, that was another way to keep them. It's just, they don't tend to let you have kids shows being, serialized they just they just don't want to mm-hmm. they just it's it's too much of a risk for them and it was a real gift that they let us do it
3: and and a large part of that was a function of the people <clears throat> the folks in charge their their love of the x-men comic books because comic books themselves tell things episodically you know you, you don't they, they play out over multiple serialized. books serialized yeah mm-hmm. so the fact that Everyone, starting with Margaret Lesh, were willing to, to do that here, I think uh, was, was uh, a real big deal. And yeah. shout out to Sharon Janice. Oh, yeah. Who was the editor on X-Men. The, animated, the video editor. The video editor. And you think, oh, okay, great. But she is the one who was kind of, from her end, sort of saying, no, 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 no. I can cut you like 30 seconds a minute, you know, uh, for this previously on X-Men thing to catch people up. And that way you... Have one minute or thirty seconds less animation. You have to pay for. Ha <laughs> and- ha! Yeah.
2: So that was great. I mean, because a lot of people were worried, advertisers and exe- other executives at Fox saying, "Oh, this is for show for kids. Kids aren't going to be able to remember and keep track of all this." Of course, they did. But the but the previously on X Men bits at the beginning really helped make people feel comfortable that the, that 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 an audience member would. not turn on and say what the heck's going on here
3: and, her, and sharon janice is the one who did yeah,
2: that. yeah yeah she she was, she was great at that she was yeah.
0: so it's my understanding that uh, uh though as you pointed out uh we were not uh neither sean nor i, I actually sean i don't think you were alive i think i was a baby no, when this show not. would have <laughs> premiered um uh, though we were not around at the time to know this and experience it in real time, uh, the episodes did not necessarily air in the order that they had been scripted?
2: Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's a problem. It's and even a pro- problem now on the Disney Channel. they don't, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. They don't have them
1: in the right order yet. Oh, Disney, Disney Plus has it in the wrong order too?
0: So they uh, have it in the release wow. order versus the scripted order?
1: Yeah, and even a
2: couple of those are kind of backwards. You think some, sometimes. It was, and that was again, that's that production problem. Uh, the, the, a lot, some of the episodes were standalones, but we had an episode right after the Phoenix saga. Yeah,
3: here's the most egregious one. Yeah yeah, all, yeah. They're,
2: they're all they're all grieving because Gene's dead Jean's flown into the sun
3: Scott is torn apart he's lost the love of his life
2: yeah and Scott's so upset that he leaves the X-Men
3: this is called No mutant is an Island right. that episode
2: and and so he goes off and at the very end of the episode they get a a hint that Gene may be alive well that episode was badly animated and it didn't show for two years <laughs> and so what happened was you yeah, had this pretty oh on. And Gene dies, and then the next episode is just some random episode where Jean is just da, 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 as, as if <laughs> oh as if God. nothing had happened. Yeah. Oh goodness. And, and so there, that was a, that was a real problem. Uh, on, on Disney Plus, if you look at it, they don't even they don't have the Dark Phoenix saga in order. They've got part. They start with part two and end with part one. Oh, oh no! God. Out of the four parts, got
1: some issues but take that up with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: I was oh. just saying, if it makes you guys feel any better, that's not just your show that has some issues with, uh, uh-huh. with the episode, uh, ordering on there. Uh, I did, I wanted to ask, cause you guys, obviously there was a bunch of adaptations of popular storylines from the comics. And apparently, as we just learned, a very popular storyline from the comics was almost, almost an adaptation of something you guys did first. uh, What would you guys say was the most difficult adaptation to do?
3: Ooh, adaptation—that's interesting. Well,
2: because when we started, this this is hard to imagine, but the two people, um, myself and Mark Edens, who's a friend of mine from college, Julius from Texas, I'm from Tennessee. We were uh, Mark and I were college buddies in 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 Knoxville. Um, We didn't know the books. We got hired to do this, and we had to lay out. We laid out the first two the first two seasons or the first 26 episodes. And we had to kind of learn the books on the fly. Now, so we,
3: Will Minio and Larry Houston and yeah. folks were, were huge fan they were boys, big fans, and they knew the books mm-hmm. forward and backwards. But so. on
2: the writing side, we didn't have that agenda like, Oh, I've got seven favorite, ep- seven favorite uh, issues that <laughs> I just can't wait to, to, to see if I can turn into TV shows. We were just looking at the characters as, as human characters and thought, what's the coolest stories we can tell and used, the comic books just as kind of a uh, a resource. We didn't, except for in the first season, except first two seasons, except for uh, Days of Future Past. None of those was really a direct uh, adaptation. Uh, adaptation. Mm-hmm. They were just stories that used bits from from the books. So, as far as hard, I think the biggest challenge was uh, that adaptation was um, the Phoenix Saga because it was a five-parter. And it took us off into space for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was just, but luckily we just had two really good seasons and we're getting great support from Marvel then. And, yeah. and it was something that that uh, I was able to do just more with Mark and his brother. We're usually working so fast, it's usually just like we need a, a 40 page script a week. Boom, 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 boom. It was usually working so fast, you'd have seven or eight writers working on different episodes. We're and, all
3: lined up in a row. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. And handing off, okay, here's one of you, here's one do you. And if we do a four part episode, like if you look at the dark Phoenix, it was four different writers that were working for me. And I had, would try to just kind of keep sense of it all, keep it all, you know, connected and, and tracking. But with, we had time for the Phoenix saga. I think it was hardest because it was a five parter, which uh, basically, you know, it's, that's over 100 a hundred minutes of story. And mm-hmm. it was hardest because I don't know, we were we were suddenly stretching the, the X Men out into space, and we were introducing this whole new uh, uh, element of it. So that was I don't know, maybe a we're proudest of. Um, uh, some of the episodes were hard to do, but I think it may be more that it was just you know we either we it wasn't like we were given a book and say and 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 saying try to do this and we said oh this is gonna be difficult mm-hmm. julia worked on days of future past with that was a challenge because we didn't have kitty pride and we didn't really think that the like the the soul of of whatever the the replacement character we used drifting back through time would come across very well on kids tv so we had a mm-hmm. an actual person bishop time travel back and, and, and be part of that. So there was, a, there was a fair amount of adjusting that was done on that one. Uh, I'd say that maybe was the hardest, the hardest one to adapt because we had a different, different cast than, the, than uh, the book did.
3: And also during this time period, two major things. Uh, one, X-Men was like the number one comic book in, at that time period, but it was a number one comic book. You could go up to your average person on the street and say, can you name me three superheroes? And you'd get Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Someone might know the X-Men. I, I, again, I cannot emphasize how... Uh,
2: they weren't part of the culture.
3: They were not yeah. part of the casual culture. So as far as the uh, rabid, sacred, can't, can't change a word, that, that wasn't really what the X-Men were at that point. And there was no internet, so, <laughs> yeah. so there was no just vitriol like, oh, you ruined it, you destroyed. It. None of that. <laughs> and there may have been in private homes throughout America, but we never had to listen to it. And, and, so, and yeah.
2: Mar- Mar- Marvel Comics was a much was a smaller company. They were struggling financially. They were going to go back, They went bankrupt in '96. Uh, they were putting all their effort into just making the making the books work, and they really didn't have time to micromanage us. They did, and, and in fact didn't have they didn't have final cut on the shows as Fox did. So oh. if there was a show that it was a show that Fox liked and Marvel hated, it went on anyway. So that, so there was nowadays, probably every line, every of every TV show and every movie is coordinated by this multi-billion dollar huge organization and they're doing a fantastic job, but ours is very different. Ours was, basically, you know, very little oversight. As long as we kept the characters in character. Um we were we we came up with the stories we wanted to tell and uh it was not you know and, and Marvel was not micromanaging us there, at all.
3: There was no email, there was no instant messaging. Yeah. Uh f- offices shut down at five o'clock and they were on the East Coast in New York and we were out here in Los Angeles. Oh. So if weekend showed up five PM our time 5 p.m. their time was like 2 3 p.m. our time. Yeah. And that was 22 yeah. hours. Yeah, you it's... couldn't
2: even send an audio file. They recorded the voices in Toronto, Canada where the cast was, and we'd get, you know, audio cassettes snail st- um, st- sh- mailed to us three days later. <laughs> oh
0: <my God. laughs> yep. Due to some tech issues, we did lose part of the file containing the interview. Um so we were not able to recover the tail end of that interview, but I did want to say that number one, they were the absolute sweetest, nicest people to ever talk to. And I do hope I get to talk to them again. Um, I wanted to make sure that all of you know that Eric Leewald wrote a book called previously on X-Men, the making of an animated series that he's very excited about. And I wanted to plug that. You can find it basically anywhere that you could find books, Amazon, wherever. Um, that you could purchase and you could find them on Twitter at X-Men T-A-S, T-A-S for animated series or the animated series. Um, So they're a, a pretty neat follow on Twitter. So I would recommend following them. Great, great people to talk to. And we do hope to contact them and get them on here sometime in the future again to continue that conversation.
1: Hey everybody, Sean and Wade here to tell you about our new review show following each episode of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. Dude, yes! Boba Fett! Not exactly, Wade. Set in the Star Wars universe, The Mandalorian takes place five years after Return of the Jedi and follows a Mandalorian bounty hunter beyond the reaches of the New Republic. Yeah, Boba Fett. Did you even watch Return of the Jedi? Never mind. Join us here every week on the Merc with the Movie blog feed. <laughs> Thank God Kalen will be here too. I don't think I can handle Wade on my own.
0: Hey, it's Sarah, and I'd like to tell you about Afterlife. It's a weekly Collider Live after show podcast where Mike, Sean, and I give our takes on Roxanne Dorinda's annex, on Yodi's producing skills, and whatever Cody and Alex are up to in that booth. In addition to having guests, we expand on the crew's discussions and add our own craziness to the mix. You can find the show on Miracle and Movie Blog feed on all the podcasting platforms. See you soon!
4: Hey guys we are now back and uh be sure and check out those shows got some great stuff going on here at merc with the movie blog and uh holy crap what about that interview kaylin uh you and sean knocked it out of the park uh, i'm sorry i missed it but you guys did great um expand a little bit on that i mean there's got to be something more you can tell us uh they just they seemed really really pleasant
0: they were they were very very awesome they were very interested Um, Before we started and sort of finding out a little more about me and Sean, they sent us a little, like, thank you thing afterwards, which was really, really awesome of them. And um, once I get that thing framed, I'm going to take a picture of it and put it on Twitter. Um, Just very, very sweet people um, and very passionate like you I think you could hear it in their voices but it just very very passionate. I'm very upset that we lost part of the interview, but I am hoping that we can get them back on sometime to chat some more cuz I'd love to hear more from them about whatever. Um I don't even care what they talk about. They could talk about anything that they're passionate about cuz you can hear it in their voices. Um so yeah, it was just a lot of fun and it made me like I now have X Men, the animated series, on my list of things I need to go and watch on
4: Disney Plus. <laughs> Sweet, um, yeah, I, I've added it to my list too. Um, I was never big into comic books, I'm, I'm still not. It's in, and it's not because I don't like comic books or anything. It's, I'll be honest, I don't like reading. Um, I I like I like I enjoy reading articles or uh, short stories, but long works, I just I don't have the patience for it um and and i know that comic books aren't long works but it just you know it it just it falls under that reading for me i would rather watch things i'm much more visual in that way i would rather watch things um but yeah i'm definitely gonna have to go back and watch that and check it out too
0: dude i am a collector of books like i I enjoy the process of buying books more Mm -hmm. sometimes than of reading them um and this past weekend one of my local bookstores was doing a sale of all their used books for a dollar. So my sister-in-law and I went and snagged some books that I'll probably never get around to reading, but it's just the joy of being like, this is some new material that I can dive into sometime when I have the time to. Um, But I know it's not for everyone. Darren doesn't like to read. He does like to read some comic books. He's read some Vader comic books, um, but he's not a big fan of reading either he'd rather consume visual um and you know not visual cuz reading is visual um you know move motion um yeah. tv or audio you know
4: yeah yeah tv
0: movies audio book or not audio books or like podcasts and things like that
4: yeah yeah and and i don't you know i i don't like to read but i have a lot of old books because I love old books. Um, I mean, I've got books that are that are like uh, from the early, you know mid 1800s, and they're like math books or English books or science books. And it's just I have no interest in reading them. I never will, but I just love old books. I've got I don't know I've got well over 50 old books just because I love them, and I love shopping for them. I never go into a store a bookstore like. I want this or I want that. I just go and I look and I look and I look and I just, there's all kinds of old, interesting stuff out there. I'll never read it, but I just like having them around. Um, Cause I love history. And, and um, with the, with our technology uh, advancements that we have now, we're losing, uh, we're losing a lot of um, hard copy things. Uh, everything's being put onto discs or on into the cloud and one day, one day, all of this shit's going to crash, and everybody's going to lose everything. But those hard copies of things—that's that's what will still be around, and and that's why I like those things. Um,
0: I still prefer a physical book. I had a Kindle. Oh well, I guess I have a Kindle somewhere. I couldn't tell you where it is, but I just there's something about holding it and flicking through the pages. And the same thing with uh, textbooks. I tell my students sometimes, I'm like, I, I know that everything's available digitally. I know it's so much more convenient. But if you are a textile kind of person where you learn from highlighting or, or circling or uh, making notes and margins, you know, buy the physical book and destroy it if you have to. But, you know, buy it. Um, I just I prefer a, a physical something to latch onto and to carry around.
4: Yeah, yep. uh,
0: that's just me. I'm I'm weird. Um, but and I'm not of my generation apparently because we're supposed to prefer everything digital.
4: <clears throat> yeah, see, I I miss pen and paper and all that stuff, and I miss <laughs> I miss cell phones. Um, I fuck these pocket computers and all this bullshit. Um. These are not cell phones. They are computers that can make a phone call. Um, I miss. I just miss regular old cell phones. So before texting, just like a Nokia. Yeah, just fucking dial that shit up and call somebody, man. I mean, my dad used to. He had a. He. My parents owned a construction company when I was growing growing up, and my dad had a mobile phone. And it's like, like when the mobile phones were actually attached inside the vehicles you couldn't take them out of the vehicles and I just I remember me and my buddies uh we would drive around and just fucking just fucking party and hang out and we would use this phone to high hell um just because it was cool as hell to have a phone in the vehicle but uh but yeah we've certainly come a long way but uh but yeah that's really cool um that interview that interview went great and uh thanks uh thanks to you and Sean for uh for being there for it, um, I had dental issue, major dental issues going on. I went to the dentist uh, that day, that morning of the interview, and I just thought it was going to be like a, uh, a uh, not a checkup. I knew what the issue was earlier the the week prior. I had, uh, was eating some pizza and my front tooth, it shit down the middle. I think we were talking about that a little bit because I, I could, when I say S and, and, uh, and F words, it was driving me crazy. So I just went in there and figured they'd say, okay, this is what we need to do. We're going to schedule you, uh, to come back and do it. No, they did it right there on the spot, which was fine by me because they were just going to put a filling in there. Or, uh, not a, or yeah, a filling. What, what it was was an old filling had come out. Like, mm. uh, apparently when I was – I can't remember this, but apparently in my teenage years I had chipped or broken that tooth at some point in my life in half, and that was a filling, and the filling had come out. And uh, they gave me a newbie uh, to – a newbie doctor, and this was his first filling, and he – jacked me the fuck up um i mean this guy was pushing so fucking hard on my head that it was jamming my head back really hard
3: Mm-mm. and
4: he was just manhandling me and it it was just unbearable oh man it was so terrible my it was just terrible so thank you guys for uh for uh, rocking that interview that was great
0: Oh, well, Sean was super excited to get to do that interview, um, and he had some really, really awesome questions that he wanted to ask them. So it all worked out in the end, and I have to say that, I, number one, I would have never let that person work on me because dentist is my biggest fear. And the other thing is, anytime they have to do anything besides just a normal six-month cleaning, um, they have to give me Valium.
2: Mm. Right. I have
0: to be – and I have to – that means you can't drive or anything. So I have to take it. I have to be taken to the doctor. I have to be taken home. Um, it usually means I sleep a little bit uh, because I can't handle it. It's either that or I have to do like the gas, but,
4: you know, mm-hmm. the gas
0: mask thing kind of gets in their way. So
4: yeah, um, yeah. he
0: prefers to give me a, a pill to take. But, yeah, so I'm a nervous wreck at the dentist, so I don't envy you that. Um, are you talking better now?
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I can say, I can say, Schmodown Spectacular, and it doesn't sound like I've got a lisp or anything like that. <laughs> so, it, it is, it, it's super nice to be able to say S's and stuff like that again. Um, but, yeah, yeah, so it's much better, but it just, oh, man. I mean, he jacked me up. I was so scared. And at one point, Dude, at one point, um, uh, I go, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I inquired as to what was going on because I was starting to get really fucking nervous because it was taking a long time and it was really hurting me. And I'm I'm the kind of, I go to the dentist, I don't care. I'll sit there through drilling, through whatever. It doesn't bother me. The dentist, it it just doesn't bother me. Um, and I very rarely feel a whole lot of pain at the dentist because I just I don't know it's just I'm lucky that way. But yeah, this was killing me. I was like, because I at one point I looked at the nurse when the when this newbie doctor walked away, and I go, I go, man, I said I have never felt pain like this at the dentist before. And she made a couple comments that kind of that kind of led me to believe that she was a little bit concerned about his technique and whatnot. But I was just so excited when it was done. <laughs> I mean, it was just no fucking around, dude. I was gone. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to try to have them back on again in the future. Uh, but um, but here we are, Christmas week, uh, SEN Live. Uh, it was a good, fun week. There there wasn't really a whole lot to cover, um, but, uh, but it was a good, fun week. But before we get into the show here, um, I... I Ben Goddard and I had a Twitter exchange earlier this week, and I just—he taught me a lesson about something I didn't know. I just—it's my ignorance that I didn't know this, but I know now. Thank you, Ben. Um, and and I I wasn't aware that critical acclaim is what makes movies good. I just I just kind of assumed that one, uh, movies whether or not movies are good. Uh, were subjective, meaning their opinions, um, and, that, and that there was real no measure of, of if a movie is good or not. Um, but ben, ben, man, thank you, dude. Um, he, he informed me that, uh, that critics are not human beings um, and that their reviews are not opinions. They are facts. They are objective. Um, I, 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 am still not sure as to why. I guess, because they're critics. Um, but, but the point is that, uh, that I found some movies. Okay. I've got a list of 17 movies here that I thought were good. And, you know, and I understand that that's my opinion. I thought they were good, but, you know, according, according to Ben here, these movies are objectively bad. They are bad movies because critics panned them. So uh, here are 17 movies that are objectively bad because critics say so. The Shining, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, The Wizard of Oz, Alien, Psycho, Fight Club, It's a Wonderful Life, Predator, Home Alone, The Exorcist, The Thing. Scarface, Apocalypse Now, 2001: A Space Odyssey, Once Upon a Time in the West, The Graduate, Bonnie and Clyde. Now, the, obviously, there are many others, but those are movies that 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 are those are just 17 movies that I think many of us thought were good, but I'm sorry to let everybody know that they are not good under any circumstances. Um, and this is not me saying this. Um, you know, this is this is according uh, according to Ben Goddard uh, in, in in his statement that critical acclaim, along with financial success, because we all know that that everything that has been successfully uh, or financially successful is good. Nothing that has ever sucked in this world has ever made money. Um, but but the critical the critical acclaim part was the one that really threw me threw me for a loop because I just, like I said, I I had lived my life assuming that critics were just human beings like everyone else and that when they reviewed a movie that I just thought they were giving their opinions. Like when you and I review movies, and, I mean, we're not unofficially critics, but I just figured that they were humans like you and I and that when we review movies, it's the same thing. They're just giving their thoughts, feelings, and opinions on it. But, I mean, that's not the case at all. So,
0: well, I, I'm, okay. I'm sorry
4: to, to let you guys know that
0: I'm going to be the voice of moderation here, and I am going to say that I uh, number one, he did use the word "good," and for anyone who's not um, sure what this Twitter exchange was, basically what Ben was trying to say, and I do understand his point of view one hundred percent. He was basically trying to say that people are talking about how Ryan Johnson, um, you. Know, you know oh he you know he's come back from the edges or whatever with knives out knives out's a, a great movie and he's basically he posted um a i guess a picture of like a headline that was basically like yeah Ryan Johnson is back after making a movie that made you know over a billion dollars and was critically acclaimed meaning the last jedi and i think the, the point he was making was that The Last Jedi was not a failure. And people talk about it like it was a failure. It was not a financial failure, and it was certainly not a critical failure. But what you're focusing on is the fact that he used the word good in y'all's Twitter
4: exchange. Well, he did, because that was my point. I was saying just because a movie – and I said it in these words. I said just because a movie is is successful – Financially, and has and or either one, you know, critically acclaimed. That doesn't make it a good movie. But he he flat out came back and said that it does make it a good movie. He flat Um, out said that.
0: I don't I don't know that he necessarily chose the right word there, but I get what he was trying to say. I think it's what he said. It is what he
4: said, and I do believe he believes that because he vigorously fought that. And uh, and that, that original tweet that he tweeted, that that is exactly what it was it was saying. It was taking a shot at all the people who think that the last Jedi was not good, and it's saying it was successful financially and it got critical acclaim, so it's good. Shut up. That th-
0: well I personally um I see your point of view. I see his point of view. I think that we could all get along just fine. I would love if Ben would come on the show and argue with you in person or, you know. Oh, I'd love to have Ben on the show.
4: Even in the exchange, I told Ben I I, I really enjoy him on SEN Live. This is is like, okay, this is not me taking personal shots at Ben. This is me taking shots at his mentality on this subject and how he feels – critics have this all-knowing and all-powerful opinion as to what is good and what's not and how their opinions, which they are, their opinions, are somehow greater than anyone else's and should be held to a higher standard. That's what I take issue with. That's what I'm attacking.
0: So, from a statistics point of view, um, a critical score, while helpful, is a bad sample space uh if if your sample is meant to represent um whether it's meant to represent the united states as a whole or the world as a whole uh a critical score is a bad sample space because it's not um well-rounded enough like it's not representative of uh the makeup of it's all. not well,
4: representative of facts. No, I it's mean, I
0: mean, no, 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 no. Oh, I mean, okay, the, the I'm sorry. The makeup I of the makeup of the group of people—they're oh, all right, people right. who are deep, 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 deep into the world of film, and probably know too much behind the scenes stuff. And are extremely passionate about film. So they're not a good representation of the population of the world as a whole, the movie-going world as a whole. So that score is not indicative necessarily of a movie that collectively, if if everyone in the world voted on whether a movie was good or bad, it, it wouldn't necessarily align with the critical overall score. because. They're just not a good representative group um, and so I don't think critical acclaim or critical bashing uh critically panned tell me anything about a movie, really. It tells exactly. me whether, yeah, it tells me whether a movie is a critics kind of movie or not,
4: yeah, well, and when he said this. The very first thing I saw, I thought of, and I'll leave it on this. I I don't have anything else following this last thing here. But when Ben told me that that critical acclamation is what makes something good, my very first thought was, well, holy fucking shit! I wish critics would have made Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones stand up good because I fucking loved it. But it's not good, so sorry everybody. awful oh. But, uh, well, I but just, that's, I don't know. That's all I got on that. I'm just, well, it's, it's just, I just, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I just, yeah. I just can't stand people who don't know the difference between objective and subjective. It really bothers me.
0: Well, I think he probably does understand. Perhaps he's someone who just doesn't express, you know, he didn't write 12 paragraphs on the subject and edit it and you know whatever so uh perhaps he could express himself better via spoken word which is why i'm inviting him on the show
4: yes and and i'll invite you on too Uh, and ben i I mean i'm i've got like i said i love y'all on senl or or sen uh live um you're you're great on there really funny um but this is just this is one of those areas where we vastly differ on opinions.
0: Um, I do think he's right in the sense that I don't think Ryan Johnson I think there's a group of people who hate him because of what, what happened with Last Jedi, but I don't Ryan Johnson's career was in the toilet because of the Last Jedi. You
4: no, know? I mean the so, greatest directors of all time have made shitty movies.
0: Of course. Everyone's well, made bad that, movies and- or or uh, divisive movies.
4: Uh, yeah, and in fact, when we when we'll we'll wrap up the show on a little bit here, and I will give an example of one in the one of the greatest directors of all time, and one of my favorites, who I think put out kind of not the best movie, uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So,
0: so uh, this being Christmas week, you and I decided uh, to each watch a movie. A Christmas movie given to us by the other. So I gave you Love Actually to watch. So you had never seen Love Actually. And you gave me National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to watch. Yep. Um, so I want to hear your thoughts about Love Actually.
4: All right. Well, I went, as I was watching the movie, I just wrote like notes like I do in the room, you know, just like a one line note as things happen that come to my mind. Okay. Um so I'll just go through my my list of notes I made. Um okay, so Love actually, my first my first note, Love actually, I'm not sure that it's an it's a Christmas movie. Oh, um Come on. It, well, it 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 takes place around Christmas, but there is very little to do with actual Christmas. Um Die Hard is more of a Christmas movie than love actually. The whole like
0: premise is Christmas. You're wrong about that.
4: And that's cool. Um uh moving beyond that though, the cast was fucking stellar. Holy shit. Um I was reading I was reading the uh you know the
0: uh like IMDb-
4: well, no, no, not the credits. Credits are at the end, but at the beginning of the movie, when they're, you know, they popping up on the screen, who's in the movie? Yeah, that's called like, credits. Oh, alright. Well, it's I didn't know if they credits were opening credits. And yeah. I'm like, holy shit, dude. Every every time a new name would pop up, I'm like, wow, this is this is cool. Um, and I love seeing Alan, uh, Alan Rickman in movies that I've not seen him in before, because he's one of my favorite British actors. Um, uh, the, the PM, the prime minister's speech at the press conference when, you know, he you know what I mean, that was brilliant. And and he's telling the U.S. president how, you know, like, friends don't bully each other and I'm going to start standing up for us. And it's, you know, you need to remember that kind of thing. And I was like, dude, that was awesome. I love that bit. Um there there were a lot of different stories jumping around, and I found it hard to keep up with all of them and how or if any of them were even connected. Um, I loved the kid telling his dad that he was in love. That was awesome because, you know, I wasn't expecting that to be what the kid was going to tell his dad. Um, Liam Neeson, uh, him and he and his son. Uh, Victor from Underworld, um uh, I can't remember his name. Maybe his name was Victor in this too. The rock star guy,
0: Bill Nighy.
4: Yes, him. He uh, he played the uh, lead vampire Victor in uh, in the movie Underworld. But he was sure. so fucking amazing in this movie. Oh, I this he he should have been in this movie a lot more than he was. He was great in this movie. Um, I would love to see a movie with him just about that character. That was so awesome. Um, uh, when Kira Knightley was watching the wedding video, um, mm-hmm. okay, she looked really sad when she was dancing with her husband in that video.
0: Oh. Um,
4: I, no, I mean, like, for real, It just she looked sad, like she was not happy. Um, I, I wrote that down because I was like, hmm, that kind of struck me. Then right after right after that video, she accused the guy who made it of not liking her, but it was one hundred percent clear he was in love with her. And well, I'm and I'm I, sitting there like, "You're so stupid, woman! What are you talking about?" I think about? she
0: said that more out of like a defense mechanism, though, like a denial thing. You know what mm, I mean?
4: I can see that. I can see that. And it took me forever to realize that was Rick from Walking Dead. I'm, I'm sitting there going, Andrew Lincoln is in this, but who the fuck is he? And then, and then I saw him a little bit later, and I was like, Oh, all right. He just he has short hair. So, in um, the, uh, let's see here, what else? I, oh, the uh, the father and son uh, reenactment scene from the Titanic. That was funny, and I also made a note in here. No wonder you like this movie, Kalen. Mister um, Bean was cracking me the fuck up when when Alan Rickman was trying to buy the gift and he's getting Mister Bean's gift wrapping it. That was hilarious. Um, I, I going back though, that there were too many stories in one movie, and none of them really oh. connected enough uh, enough for me. They didn't to really get invested in any. It just, there was way too much going on. And there were characters that were completely waste of time and, and, and that were unnecessary altogether. Um, the, uh, listen, Andrew Lincoln, when he told Kira Knightley that he loves her, he was a piece of fucking shit. That was a, that was a bastard asshole move right there. You mean with um, the,
0: the music and the cards? Yeah, well, I don't mean...
4: I mean just him telling her he loved her, period. Yeah, She's but. fucking married to his friend. That was bullshit. Yeah. He, that was a fucking piece of shit asshole move. Then when what she runs out... Then when she turned twat and ran out there and followed him <gasps> and kissed him, I was like, what a fucking bitch. That's nasty. And I felt really bad for her fucking husband. Because... His friend and his wife are fucking disgusting human beings. Um, the kid, the little kid at the end, all right, when they have the uh, the, the kids' uh, Christmas play and whatnot, the little girl singing All I Want for Christmas annoyed the fucking hell out of me. I can't stand kids singing about love. It's not only unrealistic, I think it's fucking stupid, and I can't, and call me old-fashioned, whatever, I don't like I I, I don't like uh, um, presenting children in an adult light and shit like that. I just don't like that shit. Kids are kids. Let them be fucking kids. Kids don't know jack shit about love. That kind of stuff just annoys me. Um, when in, when oh go ahead.
0: I was going to ask because there's one part that totally breaks Darren's heart and he can't stand to to watch is when uh. Mm, Alan Rickman's wife finds the jewelry and thinks it's for her. And then on Christmas day realizes it's not. And then goes in the other room and sobs. Yeah. Oh my God. That breaks his heart. He's like, I can't watch this movie.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like, nothing like a love story with a bunch of disgusting fucking adulterous assholes. Kudos guys. um, the kid running through the airport to get to the girl—that was awesome. I loved it. And Mr. Bean there again distracting the guy for the kid to take off running. Uh, Mr. Bean just rocked my world in that shit. I'm not a big fan of his of his Mr. Bean movies and stuff, uh, but yeah. he was great in this movie. So great. Um, when when uh, when Victor—I'm just going to call him Victor. We all know who I'm talking about at this point. Um, uh, when he when he actually played the song Naked on TV, I was like, yeah, that was so good. I loved that. Again, I could watch an entire movie with him just about that character. I want it so bad. Um,
0: Did you recognize who the little boy is?
4: He looked familiar, but I didn't go in depth to look. I, I, I'm sure I know who he is, but I I just didn't look in depth.
0: He's, well, he's been in several things, but he's, um, um, oh, what's his first name? Uh, Reed, uh, something Reed in, uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, who, oh, who, he uh, was, uh, uh, uh. Recon Stark. No, 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 ne- no, 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 lose- no, 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 He's, um, he, he no, goes no, no, no. with Bran. He and his sister, Mira. take oh! Bran yeah, yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
4: Yeah, oh, uh, his dad was friends with Ned Stark.
0: Yes, yes. Yes. Um,
4: That's why that he looks so is. familiar. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. To, and um, fun fact, I randomly heard this on, I don't know, Essien Live or Collider Live or something this week. Um, Keira Knightley was on, is only five years older than that little boy, but in the movie she's getting married and he's like this little bitty boy. <laughs>
4: holy shit
0: yeah she was only like 18 when they shot this movie she was only like 17 when they shot pirates um man, she, she just she's got a into fucking toothpick
4: in. too man holy oh my shit. god well you know the whole thing
0: with pirates was they had to like airbrush cleavage onto her because she had none even with the corset and all of that like of
4: because she's <laughs> just like underage girl and fucking make her have tits that sounds not pervy at all fucking Uh, hollywood man.
0: she's the one who talks about it in the commentary (laughs) no one else she's like yeah they had to airbrush those on those aren't there
4: (laughs) that's crazy um the uh when the french writer uh went and found the girl or not the french writer but when the writer went and found the french girl and he proposed to her Mm -hmm. that made me fucking cry that was when that was the point when I said, damn you for giving me this movie. I was typing that to you through tears. That was so Aww. fucking awesome. I loved that part. Um, and, and I think the thing I loved the most about it was the fact that he, you know, he he didn't know French. He, he learned French in order to find her and tell her that he loved her and ask her to marry him. And while he's doing it, He's still so shitty at French, it's broken French, you know, but, but it's still so fucking awesome. I loved it. Um, and then, yeah, the, the connecting fabric was revealed far too late. Um, as far as like how everyone was connected to each other. Cause like I said, you're going through the whole, whole movie and it's like 20 fucking different stories and you're just jumping around. No one story is getting enough time to really make an impact for me personally, um, it, as great as that proposal was, that that writer and the French girl, their whole what ten minute total storyline was completely worthless and, and wasted. They they it was unnecessary. They shouldn't have been in it whatsoever. Um, the uh, the guy coming to the states and his friend, like before he left, and he's telling his buddy, "I'm going to go to the states and do all these hot American chicks." both of those people and but especially the guy who came to the States and him coming to the States completely wasted. None of yeah, it mattered. That
0: wasn't useful. Yeah. None of
4: it fucking mattered. Um, but God only knows, um, the song by the beach boys that they played in that final scene. It, that was a really, really good choice of music for that scene. I really liked that song choice for that. Um, Overall, I enjoyed the movie. I just I just think that there, was, there were too many stories. No one story got enough time, and there were characters and stories that did not belong and shouldn't have been there. But overall, I really did enjoy the movie.
0: What would you give it out of five? Three. Three?
4: Yeah. Well,
0: well that's reasonable. You're making me want to go watch it again because I haven't seen it in a year now. And uh, you're pulling out details that I forgot about, so I'm like, I want to go watch it.
4: <laughs> so yep. you
0: made me watch Christmas Vacation, and uh, these are the notes that I wrote down as I was watching. Let me find them. Um, okay, oh, I,
4: I'm looking forward to this.
0: Okay, my one laugh in the whole movie was one laugh. One laugh. I laughed once. What was? The f- was when the old lady is supposed to say grace, and she says the pledge of allegiance instead. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what his character's name was, but Randy Quaid stood up and put his heart over his, his hand over his heart.
4: Yeah, yeah. That
0: was my one laugh. I laughed once in this whole movie. Um, did your family laugh more than once at least? I think my sister-in-law laughed twice.
4: Wow. Um, we
0: collectively did not like this movie. None of us. Really. None of us had seen it. It was me, my husband, his sister, and his mom. None of us had seen this movie, and none of us liked it. So my other notes were, it's sexist, it's slapstick, and why does the wife tolerate him? He's a dick and an idiot, and he overdrew their bank account for a deposit (laughs) on a pool, and she's just like, oh, it's fine, like, oh, you'll get the, you'll get a, a bonus, And then he opens the check, and it's like a coupon for a jam of the month. Jelly of the month club. Yeah. And, oh, and he kidnaps – well, he doesn't. Randy Quaid kidnaps his boss. And (laughs) all that shit is not how reality would have gone. He would have been fired and arrested.
4: Yeah, but thank God it's a movie, Kalen.
0: Uh, It was just awful. Like, just awful across the board. I gave it two stars on Letterboxd
4: wow
0: it was it was just awful i i hated watching this movie um in fact at some
4: point
0: point, my mother-in-law was like we don't have to watch this and my sister-in-law was like well she has to watch it for her podcast and my mother-in-law was like oh yeah like none of us were interested in watching this movie it's uh, and chevy chase okay so I don't know if this is well known, but I've heard a thing here or there that he was sort of a dick.
4: Oh, yeah, and... he's always been kind of an asshole, yeah. Yeah. Well known.
0: Um, the one great thing to come out of this movie is the fact that he was such a dick to Chris Columbus that Chris Columbus decided not to direct it. So John Hughes then wrote Home Alone for Chris Columbus to direct so the one really awesome thing to come out of this movie is Home Alone.
4: <laughs> that is a twist that I never would have seen coming.
0: Oh, so I learned that just recently on um, Netflix has a, the movies that made us. Yes, um, yes.
2: Yeah, I've seen the, it.
0: They also have the toys that made us. Mm-hmm. And in the movies that made us, they've only done four movies, and I only watched Home Alone, but I'm assuming they'll make more. And yeah chris columbus basically says i was gonna direct christmas vacation and then i met the lead actor and he was an asshole and (laughs) so uh you know and i think i think john hughes was kind of well known for like punching scripts out like really fast and he just like punched out home alone and asked chris columbus because he was like i really want you to direct something and so he made home alone so there is a silver lining there which is without this movie we may not have gotten home alone
4: so and so you've never seen the original vacation movie with Chevy no. Chase and Beverly Dean. okay well no. then that that's why that's that would be why you were like it's sexist because when you said that my first thought was well yeah that's what it's vacation. It's National Lampoons. So That's, but then I was like, well, maybe she hasn't seen the original movie, no. so she, she, you weren't familiar with the characters already. I can't swear um, I've
0: ever seen a National Lampoon movie.
4: Really, you've never seen Animal
0: House? I did see Animal House. I did not like it. What? I didn't think it was funny.
4: Oh man! Wow.
0: I think yeah, you're understanding now. This is not movie. my. Yeah, this is not my sense of humor.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, that's good though. We're finding this out, so next time I can try to pick something that I think might, you know, that's not as much like this, and try to tweak it a little bit. Because I don't want to give you just a bunch of crap that you won't enjoy watching. I don't want to do that to you. So I want you to, I, you know, I want you to actually watch some stuff that that you have a shot of enjoying. So
0: yeah, and I mean, like, I liked Clerks. Um, I don't know that I'll watch it again. Like you know, just like put it on, but I'm glad I watched Clerks. I didn't love Clerks too, but I'm glad I watched them. Um, What else? I can't remember what else you've given me to watch. So it hasn't been like a total bust so
4: far. True, true.
0: Um, I know you... What did you make me watch in exchange for you watching The Lion King? I'm trying to remember.
4: Oh, man.
0: Mm, That's been so long ago now.
4: I know. Jaws.
0: Jaws! I liked Jaws. Um so, you know, we're finding things out. Yep. So yep. uh yeah, it just it wasn't my thing and I don't think I wanna see Chevy Chase and anything again. Like I'm 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 good.
4: Man, he is so fucking funny. Um mm. He, he was, oh man, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's cool that you don't like it. It just, for me, the first time I saw it, I was a little kid and, you know, my mom and dad, we watched it at Christmas with my mom and dad and, and that was a tradition. We would watch that every year as a family and shit, so. And I um, didn't
0: expect him to drop an F-bomb and he did.
4: Oh yeah. We're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny fucking K. Love it. Yeah.
0: Man, uh, uh, just it wasn't my thing. But I watched a Christmas movie.
4: Yep, yep, me too. So that's all right. Next time yeah. uh, we do these little reviews, uh, I'll try to give you something a little bit better, depending on if we're going themed or if we're just going a random movie. I don't. We'll figure it out. But
0: we'll wait till inspiration strikes.
4: Yep, yep.
0: Um. So this week on S N Live. Uh, not a lot happened this week because they only had three episodes. They, of course, did not have a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day episode, and um, there just wasn't a lot of news going on this week, which is understandable because, as they've said before, Hollywood basically shuts down um this time of year, and that's totally understandable. But we did get something we've never seen before, which is Christian's kids popped into the studio.
4: Yes, that was oh, really they're amazing. so
0: adorable.
4: They're so yeah. adorable. Yeah, and and now when when he says all the funny things that his daughter that his oldest daughter says to him, now you've got a, a face and a voice to match it up to, and you can be like, okay, yeah, I can totally envision that, dude.
0: Yeah, and you could tell that they're such daddy's girls because they just like ran straight to him.
4: Yep, yep, and and it's and it was cool. Uh, it was cool, you know, to to see uh to see uh see her get up there next to Ellis because of course Ellis you know, they know Ellis very well, um, of course. And then and then when she walked around Ellis, I was like, oh, I was I was like, oh, like she's gonna make the rounds and give Brett a hug because she obviously knows Brett and she you know no, she was going for that game.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, they're so adorable. Um. The little one didn't seem too interested in being in there, but you know, too much stuff going on.
4: Yeah, but but uh, what they they brought in donuts was it or were, or were they bagels?
0: Donuts. Mm, I think it was donuts. It was donuts.
4: All right, all right. Yeah, if they were bagels, then no one would have had any because Ben would have stole them all.
0: <laughs> oh my god.
4: Yep. Uh, but that was really cool. Uh, like that a lot too. Um, and and I hadn't seen it. You, I had to watch that episode later on and you told me about it. And, and so I knew it was coming before I got to see it. So I was looking forward to that. So yeah, that was really cool. That was really cool, man. Well done Christian. You, uh, looks like you got a really lovely family, family, man. So, uh, congratulations to you.
0: We've gotten a lot of Winston this week. Um, oh, and yeah. because he, you know, with them not having those shows in the you know in the middle of the week, and then I think Winston's been on all three days.
4: Yeah. Yep. And then and uh Who and, we love.
0: He's one. Of yeah, we love guests.
4: Winston. Yes. Um, it, it, Kate hasn't been on for a couple weeks.
0: She was on. Monday? Was she on Monday?
4: Wasn't on at all last week or this mm-hmm. week. I don't you think be so. Right.
0: You may be right. She was either on Monday or she was on at the end of last week, and we haven't seen her since. Um, wait, did
4: she say that she was coming out east for the holidays?
0: I think so, yeah, or they were going somewhere. They were visiting yeah. family or something. They were. I know they were disappearing yeah. for a couple of weeks, and we wouldn't see her.
4: Yeah, um, well, can't wait to see her back and hope she had a great, safe trip. So.
0: Yes, and um, I'm bummed she, she isn't going to get to talk about the last episode of the Mandalorian because she wasn't around. I'm assuming she won't be, probably won't be back till after the first of the year.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, I don't know. Maybe Christian will let her put in her two cents on a Sen live.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel so lost now because I've watched the last episode of the Mandalorian Watchmen ended. And that's the only shows that we were like following week to week. So now Do you guys, like, watch
4: Vikings. No the history channel show. no, Ooh, I was just wondering that just uh the final season of that just started up uh I don't know maybe 3 or 4 weeks ago.
0: We don't um get channels.
4: <laughs> uh, that's cool. That's cool.
0: <laughs> Except for the one Well, I don't we either. Don't I, s- I, I don't
4: I know get you channels either. Stuff. So
0: um I,
4: uh, I have uh, I have no I, I'll just say it. I have no I have no issue being a pirate. I okay. I feel bad about it not at all not well, even were, a little bit.
0: I guess if you're watching Vikings, it's um on brand a little bit.
4: Well, <laughs> it's a, it's a the show has definitely lost its touch, but I hung in there. Um but no, I just I, I just I don't know. I have no issues with that, man. Um you know, I I can't even afford to buy groceries when I need them. So I have no issue at all watching shit for free uh while those rich bastards sit out there in their big Hollywood Hills homes and uh gorge themselves on on life um i have no issue whatsoever streaming some shows for free that i want to watch it, i don't feel bad whatsoever so
0: um something i have been watching like binge watching is the great british baking show
4: uh uh oh brett talks about that show isn't uh-huh. that the one he talks about
0: yes it's great is
4: it as it good is.
0: as he says? So you know how all American competition shows are so like cutthroat and like high intensity music and everyone's rushing. There's a little bit of that, but on this show, it's just like the music is very light and British, and mm. you know them making scones and um, Darren keeps talking about sponge because they're they always talk about making a sponge, which I think just means like a basic cake, like a cake batter. Hmm. Um make a sponge. So Darren's like, ooh, I'm craving sponge. And um it's Have just, they made
4: spotted dick.
0: Um, that did come up in one episode like someone was filling something with it. Um right on. Yeah, they make all sorts of weird things. They talk about frenzy pan all the time and um Oh, what's that dessert? That's um. Oh, I'll think of it later. They talk about crap that I'm just like that. Just looks like a gooey mess. That looks disgusting. Mm-hmm. But it's so much. It's just nice and light, and, and they all like get so close to each other, and uh, like cry when someone gets eliminated. And yeah, I don't like that. Oh, it's it's so wonderful. I love it. I've I've flown through all the seasons. I think I'm in season. Well. On, not all of them are on Netflix but of what's on Netflix i think i'm on the
4: 6th season. Man. Yeah, see i i still love hell's kitchen but i really miss the first uh the first seasons of it when he was cussing everyone calling people cows and shit i i fucking loved that i miss it so much. Oh. So well. great love Gordon Ramsay. I like I like mean Gordon Ramsay calling people names and shit. That's what's entertaining.
0: Okay, well <laughs> there is a um there is a judge who like he reminds me more of a Simon Cowell than of a Gordon Ramsay, but like mm. he'll taste something and you based on the look on his face you can't tell if he's about to say he loves it or hates it. And, like, to get a handshake from him is, like, a huge deal because he doesn't give a handshake to people very often. And it's just, uh, like, you just live in fear of what he's going to say. So, I've been addicted to that lately. We still need to watch The Witcher. We still need to watch uh, the last season of Maisel that came out.
4: I binged The Witcher, and I still, I, okay, when don't I started no, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil anything at all. I'm not going to tell you anything about the show whatsoever. Um, just that when I started watching it, I didn't understand what the fuck was going on. And now that I've binged the entire season, I still don't know what the fuck is going on. Um, but I enjoyed very much a lot of what I saw in it. Well,
0: we want to watch it, but, um, we just haven't gotten around to it. I still haven't watched a ton of 2019 movies that I need to watch, but every time I go to look one up, like, I hate that all these movies get freaking nominated for Academy Awards and SAGs and all of that, and I... Get really into it, I love watching for your consideration on collider i you know I get really excited about it, and then it's like it doesn't come to theaters down here in Mississippi, and it's not streaming, so half the movies I literally cannot watch
4: and see that's where that's where the pir- pirating comes in handy.
0: well, I don't want to do that, but uh, that's fine. And, I I'm mean, just and, saying. And, and, the people voting on them get to watch them because they get screeners,
4: yeah. yeah, and
0: it's like, but I want to watch it. I want to be able to see what y'all are, like, voting on and what y'all are celebrating. Like, you're celebrating a movie before the general public ever even has a chance to see it yeah. and giving it awards and stuff, and – It's just, it's annoying, and then they're like, well, people make comments about what movie should win, and they didn't even watch all of them. It's like, no, I didn't watch all of them. I couldn't.
4: Yeah. It's not because I
0: didn't want to. Like, we were going to watch Parasite, and you can't. Like, I have no way to watch Parasite without, like, illegally downloading it, which I don't do. So, it's fucking annoying. Hey,
4: I don't don't illegally download anything. I just illegally watch it. I, I stream it. I don't download anything. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> Semantics, Jay. Semantics. Yes. <laughs> um but speaking of 2019 movies, um what was it what was a movie from this year that you were the that you were the most disappointed in? That like um, like that you that you were excited to see and and wanted it to be good or or uh anticipated it being good but just ended up coming out let down.
0: Oh, that's really easy. Um that would be midsummer. I gave it a one-star on Letterboxd. So if you're oh. wanting to follow me on Letterboxd, I'm there at Rose 715 just like I am on Twitter. Um, and my review is, what a shit show. I give up on Ari Aster. That's I have no
4: room. idea what that movie is, but I will not watch it's... it now based on your, uh, n- uh, your opinion.
0: Okay, so he made Hereditary. And Hereditary, while really fucked up, I'm still thinking about that movie and like I don't think I hate it. Um I, I'm not sure, but I don't think I hate it. I definitely liked it more than Midsummer. So Midsummer went into a going, okay, I know it's gonna be weird because Hereditary was weird. I know I'm probably gonna leave like get done watching it and have some mixed weird feelings. Um, you know, his movies, you don't feel comfortable when you leave them. Mm. But I left this movie just like, no, I, I hated this. It was awful. Um, It was just... I mean, I don't know. And I know that there are people who love it and think it's whatever, but all... <laughs> Darren was cracking me up because when we got done, he's like, but this is art! See, uh, Scorsese wants more of this and less superhero movies. This is what we're supposed to be watching! <laughs> and I'm like, no, this was fucking awful. And he was being like a smartass because right, he right. Thought it was he's like, but it's art! And <laughs> it's,
4: Take that, Scorsese!
0: <laughs> yeah, It's one of those movies that like, but it's art. And it's like, it's fucking awful. Now, with that said, The acting was good. Um, I even think, like, I could pick out certain things that were good. Like, it was well edited um, to where you kind of progressively... I wouldn't call it a scary movie, really. Just like Hereditary wasn't a scary movie to me. It was just bizarre. (sighs) But I just... I wanted... See, Hereditary, I'm still so split about. I wanted to watch Midsummer and be like okay, I'm on board with Ari Aster. But instead, I watched it, and I'm totally off board. Like, I'm done. Kind of like what Mother did for me, and um, who's that dude? Who's the dude who did Mother and Black Swan and...
4: Blue, I've never seen either one of those Shit. movies.
0: Um, Well, I'm going to have to look up his name or it's going to bother me. I've seen parts.
4: I've seen clips from Black Swan. I bet you have. I
0: know. Yeah, I know exactly. yeah.
4: Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman all getting up on each other. I've seen those parts.
0: Of course, you have. Darren Aronofsky. Um, All right. All right. Yeah, like Black Swan was weird, but I I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. And so I saw Mother thinking, okay, this will tip me one way or the other. the one with
4: jennifer lawrence
0: yes and mother tipped me towards like fuck this i'm done Oh man! (laughs) so that's what this movie did for me now i know there's people who love it but it was just not my cup of tea so for you what movie or movies came out this year that you were just totally disappointed in
4: um i for me uh once upon a time in hollywood is the one i was most disappointed in um I'm a huge Tarantino fan. Um, Jackie Brown is one that I don't rewatch. It just for me it's it's just slow and it drags on and 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 on. And I could I could keep doing that for hours, but I won't. Um, but I was I was just really looking forward to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've only seen it once, and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Uh, There are parts of that movie that are so fucking amazing. I loved, but overall, it just the they're just the the a lot of things took me out of it. Um, Particularly the um, Sharon Tate stuff. I haven't seen it yet. It it just. it's definitely worth seeing. It just uh, I won't spoil anything. Uh, good thing you just said you hadn't seen it yet. Um, it, the Sharon Tate stuff, it, you know it's good for what it is. and Margot Robbie is amazing in that role, but it just the story, I think could have been uh, could have been told and maybe would have flowed better without Sharon Tate actually being involved in it. Um, Is it because it's like a combination –
0: is it like the combination of real people with fictitious, like, not handled well?
4: No, not at all, because what you mean there – what you're saying there, because the – the at the very end there's a scene that is clearly fictitious that you know that strays from what really happened Okay. and it was the most amazing scene of the movie my brother and i were laughing our fucking asses off in the theater just in complete delight of what we were seeing on the screen so no not that it just um it's hard to explain it it it, it's, it's it's hard for me to explain it um it just seemed. It seemed to me like, uh, like, like there. If they would have had Sharon at the very end, in the very final scene, then that would have been that would have been good. I don't think it was necessary to have her in the movie any more than that. Because to be honest, it, it was like she. The the main the main focus of the movie is uh, is. Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm sorry, DiCaprio. <laughs> I've been calling him Leonardo DiCaprio since I was a teenager. It's hard not to do. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, whom I love as an actor. By the way, as an actor, I love him. Uh, great actor. But it, the main the main characters of this are really Brad Pitt and Leo, and it just the. There was no connecting fiber to Margot Robbie's Sharon Tate until the end of the movie. And I just think it, it just felt like it felt like this movie about this actor and his stunt buddy, his stunt double buddy. And then sprinkled throughout it are like two or three minutes of Sharon Tate here and there, but it never really connected to the story until the very end. And it just seemed out of place to me a little bit, um, but it, I, I had some other issues with it too. But I, I, I definitely would have to uh, would have to watch it again, which I do plan on doing. So, um, but th- that's the one for me. And, and like I said, I don't think it's bad or anything at all. But as far as disappointing, it, it it was the biggest disappointment for me of the year. I just I was really really looking forward to it. And uh, I left the theater confused uh, because, you know, even within the main plot of, uh, of, uh, of Leo and Brad, there were some things that were confusing and just kind of like, okay, I don't understand this. Does, it doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I'm going to have to watch it again for sure. One, because I love Tarantino. And two, because I, m- maybe maybe I was wrong. You know what I mean? In my initial viewing, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe I was in some kind of mood. Maybe, uh, I don't know, who knows? I could watch it again and it could be the greatest fucking thing of the year. But uh, from from my one viewing of it so far, that would be my biggest disappointment.
0: Sometimes when you're really excited about a movie, the first viewing is for you to wash away what your expectations were.
4: Yeah, and then the yeah. second
0: viewing is sometimes a little more clear. That happened with Darren with The Rise of Skywalker, where mm. he had to. The, he was very angry <laughs> leaving it the first time yeah. because just, you know, certain stuff that happened. And even stuff that had happened in The Last Jedi that you were just sort of stuck with moving yeah. forward. Um, but on second viewing, it feels a lot Snoke.
4: better. So terrible, so terrible of an explanation for Snoke—the the the no explanation explanation of Snoke, I should say, was just so yeah. fucking terrible. I, boy, dear boy, I made Snoke, but anyway, but yeah, that that was uh, that was the one that was disappointing for me uh, this year. But hey, we always got next year, right? And uh, Tarantino's got one more movie, so for me, uh, he could go out with a bang. Uh, but then again, he'll probably use some loopholes or something and end up making 30 more movies. But they'll all technically be his last one. But uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here this week. Because honestly, other than just fun chit chatting on SEN Live, there really wasn't a lot of uh, of substance to get into. So uh, that's all we got this week. Uh, beside the fact that we were all with our family too, so you know. Oh yeah just a light week and next week will be light too. I'm sure, uh, with the, with new Year's. So
0: yes. And by uh, the time we talk to all of y'all again, it will be 2020.
4: And, and I do, I do, uh, I do actually, uh, I do actually want to say one last thing before we run out here that, um, They they did hook or talk and, and I today and I went to Amsterdam to the red light district in 2001. And I will tell that story next week because it was really fucking crazy. So, uh, we will, uh, we will, uh, we will open the uh, SEN portion of next week's show with that. Uh, if not the entire show, I'm not sure. I don't think we have any guests scheduled for next week just yet. So we'll see what happens. And, uh, until then, why don't you tell us where everyone can find you, Kaylin?
0: You can find me on Twitter or Letterboxd at Kalen Rose 715. That's K A L Y N R O S E 715.
4: And you can find me on the Twitter at J Wade 1134. That is the letter J W A D E 1134. You can follow Merck with the Movie Blog on Twitter at Movie Blog Merck. Check it out on the website, Merck where you can find articles and all kinds of other good stuff there. And you can find this show as well as others on the Merc with the Movie blog feed on Anchor as well as, all, as well as all of your other podcasting platforms and all of these shows are on the YouTube channel, Merc with the Movie blog. So everybody, Merry Christmas. Um, have a great, great new year coming up. Be safe, everybody. And until next week, yeah, I don't know, just do something fun. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week.
0: Bye.